This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm Jo Stanley, and for years I woke up at an ungodly hour to do breakfast radio. These days, though, my lack of sleep comes from being a mum. Like most parents, I'm just trying to get through the day without yelling at my kid and laugh crying in the middle of the shops. And if I can juggle my career and still get my daughter to eat broccoli every now and then, I'm awarding myself Mother of the Year. I mean, we're all different, but the parenting roller coaster is the same. Sharing our stories of the highs and the lows is so important because it's a lot easier to enjoy this crazy ride when we know we're all in this together. Welcome to Mum Plus One, thanks to Red Energy. Great value electricity and gas, that's Red Energy. My daughter is 11, so to be honest, I don't remember much about her being a toddler. I think it went something like this. Oh no, that's not. Oh no, that's not. That's. I think I've, I feel like I've blocked out those tantrums. Did this happen? Time to eat lunch. Wait, I need to Oh no. Oh no, that's PTSD right there. Oh yes, I do remember the public tantrums always in the supermarket for some reason. And I remember one completely hysterical meltdown because I wouldn't let my daughter wear thongs in winter. Uh, And then, oh, there was the horror of toilet training, desperately trying to find a service station with a public toilet in the middle of peak hour. And thinking at the time, this was so much easier when the kid was a babe in nappies in arms. And thinking, if this is what having my kid grow up is, I just want none of it. Let's keep her as a baby forever. But the fact that we got here with a lovely, well-mannered, well-adjusted, toilet-trained 11-year-old suggests that you do survive the toddler years. But when you're in it, it's hard to imagine it will ever get better. So today we're talking toddlers. I feel a bit like we're entering a war room. And my guest war strategist is Dr. Emma Little, child and adolescent psychologist and author of Kids Behaving Badly, Teacher Strategies for Classroom Behaviour Problems. So I figure she knows a thing or two. Emma, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. What is it about the toddler years that are so incredibly challenging? Well, I think one of the things to start uh, saying about toddlers is that when toddlers are challenging us, there's a lot that's going on that they are trying to communicate. And so when we have babies, they really are relying on us to tell them what they need and when they need it. Toddlers have developed their own sense of who they are and they're trying to become little independent individuals. And so they're trying to communicate that they want to be able to have some control in their lives. And I think that's what makes it so challenging for parents. So in response to this little person trying to work out how to tell us what they want, how do we know where we sit on the line of accepting what they want and telling them what they what we want? <laughs> <laughs> so as, um, as war strategists, as parents of toddlers, what we, I guess, need to think about is how do we re- re- retain our, our control 
while allowing toddlers to think that they actually have some say in their lives. Mm. So I'm a big fan of uh, giving kids choices, but ultimately we're the ones who control those choices. But we don't tell that to the kids. So they think that they are in control of what they decide to do and when they decide to do it. Mm, There's a lot of uh, sort of magic in there. It's like sleight of hand in a way, isn't it? It is. It is. So if you've got a toddler that um, has a tantrum each morning because you don't quite get the spread right on their toast, (laughs) a a strategy might be to say to them, hey, this morning, do you want jam or peanut butter on your toast? You're giving them a choice, but you're still telling them that what they're going to have for breakfast is a piece of toast. Mm, I like this. Okay. So it's mind control in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You just need to be one slight small step ahead of them at all times. Okay. So it does seem also that it's a time where our children are learning pretty much every skill that will set them up for life, right? So they're learning to feed themselves, to dress themselves, to regulate their emotions, toilet training. It's a massive list. Is there a right way or a wrong way? Let's start with teaching them a skill like dressing themselves. Is there a right way or wrong way to do that? I think the temptation as parents and particularly busy parents, so I was a working mum, I know that sometimes the temptation is to just do it for them. Mm. So it's, it's hard for toddlers to navigate pants, you know, which leg goes in first and how do you navigate that? Um, but I guess as parents, one thing that we can do is just maybe try to slow down a little bit and give them a little bit of a a model of how you do it, but then try and let them do as many steps as they can. And that holds for all sorts of skills. So just gradually getting them to do one step and then moving on to the next and lots and lots of encouragement and praise each time they do something that's a small achievement. So is it true that, and I feel like I trained my Labrador and my child in the same way, which is praising <laughs> yep. the behaviour you want to see, is that the basis of, you know, really shaping our children? I think it's the basis of all behaviour. So even as adults, if we get a little bit of encouragement in any way, whether it's recognition at work or a little pay rise, it encourages us to do that behaviour again. So kids are much the same. If we want them to build up behaviours that are positive, we praise those behaviours and try and give a bit less attention to those behaviours that aren't quite where we want them to be. Which kind of leads me on to discipline. Are children at that age deliberately naughty or are they just not sure of their boundaries yet? Look, I don't think that any child um, at that young age is setting out to be evil and to destroy their parents' lives. (laughs) I think sometimes it can feel a little bit like that, but I think generally what they're trying to do is just work out that they are separate from their mums and dads and that they can have some say in their lives. And so I think sometimes it's just trying to step back and go, okay, what are they actually communicating here? Are they saying, mum, you are doing way too much for me, I want to do it myself? Or are they saying, I'm really frustrated, I can't do this, I don't know how to do this and I need someone to help me with it? But when you say, <laughs> are they saying one or the other, I feel like they need. we need an interpreter because they don't really <laughs> communicate very well to us what they exactly they need. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because toddlers are still developing their language skills. So they have a really, really basic 
um, set of words that they know how to use and no tends to be at the top of the list because (laughs) generally they know what they don't want. But being able to put into words all the other things that they want can be really hard Um, and just developing that sense of emotional regulation so that ability to suppress emotions that aren't okay. So imagine if as adults we experienced all the same emotions as a toddler did in the course of one day, we would be exhausted. Mm. Mm. So how do we help our kids, A, know how to communicate? But the start of that, before that, is to even identify what they're feeling, isn't it? Yes. So there's a lot of um, trying to watch your child and I guess we call it mirroring, so talking to them about what we can see. So I can see that you're feeling frustrated because that, Lego block isn't going on the stack. How about I help you so that we can do it together? So it's about telling them, I guess, at the start what it is you think that they're feeling. So Mm. hopefully that then as they get older builds up that language bank of emotions so that they can then start using those words when their um, cognitive development lets them do that. Mm -hmm. But it really does require being present with your kid, doesn't it, to read what's going on? Yeah. And as you say, slowing things down, that's a challenge. Yeah, it it certainly is. And I think, you know, these days we are so busy and we have so many competing demands that sometimes it's hard to find those times to slow down. And I guess my message always to parents is it doesn't have to be big, long chunks of time that you're spending um, talking to your child about what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. But when they've got one of those big emotions happening, Um, as embarrassing as it might be in public, it might be a good idea to just stop and be still Mm. and be calm with them because I guess toddlers also look at us to see how they should be reacting. And so if mum or dad is staying calm, that helps the toddler to, I guess, um, contain themselves and to listen a bit better to what we're trying to tell them. That kind of leads us into tantrums and yeah. and that that explosion of emotional outbursts that it did seem to happen more often in public with my daughter. I don't know why. And I became very... All the good stuff's in public. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I wondered sometimes whether she just liked the audience because I did tend to turn my back. Like I, I became impervious to it. I felt like I was titanium, like Sia would say, because I just didn't respond in the end. Is that the right way of going about it? Because I remember a man looking at me in coals and just tisking me and just going, mate, it's best we just don't respond to this. Yeah. Look, I think you get judgment when you're out in public. And so that can make it really hard for parents to persist with a strategy that they feel is the right one. Um, but when a, when a kid is having a tantrum, and that's different to, I guess, a meltdown, which might have um, other issues going along with it, a tantrum is really about, I want this and you're not letting me have this. Mm. Or I want to keep doing this and you're making me stop. Yep. And so a tantrum is really driven by a kid wanting something and not getting it. Sometimes um, it's about getting parental attention to try and Um, that might be the thing that they want. And so if you can kind of crack the code as to what it is that's behind the tantrum, that then tells you what to do about it. So if they're doing it for attention, just turning around and not giving them that attention is eventually going to peter out the tantrum. Or if it's because they want something in the shops, Mm. by not giving them the thing that they want, they're hopefully going to learn that 
tantrums don't achieve that goal and then maybe you help them work out a better way to ask for that. Mm. I felt too that often compassion, if I was able to get beyond either the frustration and I'm in a hurry and why are you doing this to me now, through to actually I feel for you, you're in a really heightened state and it's not fun throwing a tantrum. If I was able to find that compassion in the end, if we were sort of able to end in a cuddle, it was quite a good result. Is that yeah, is that kind yeah. of a strategy that can work <laughs> if oh, you can get there? I think if we we if we start from a basis of what are you trying to tell me? This must be really really important to you because mm-hmm. you have such a big emotion. Then I think we are going to hopefully be problem solving together, um, and hopefully a little less frustration. Um, but it is also important for parents to understand that it's okay to have boundaries with their kids Mm. and it's okay to put limits in place and stick firm to those limits as long as a lot of the time you are also communicating with your child what those limits are so they know what you're expecting of them. You're listening to Mum Plus One with me, Joe Stanley. It's all thanks to Red Energy. Red Energy has great value electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. So we have got some questions on our social media and you can always drop me a line on uh, Insta at, our, at Real Joe Stanley or Twitter, Real Joe Stanley, or in fact, Facebook, Real Joe Stanley. Um, and one of the questions that I received was from Christina, which really relates to this part of the conversation, Emma. She says, I would love to hear about combating aggression in toddlers. The hitting and throwing objects phase and thinking it's funny is wearing thin. And I do remember that with some of my friends where they were in tears and distraught at how aggressive their children had become. Toddlers can be fierce and they've got those really new teeth, which can be particularly effective when you want to sink your teeth in. Or pulling hair. I remember vaguely... Vaguely, my kids are a lot older now, so I remember vaguely occasional times where that frustration would lead to throwing something or hitting something. Um, And I guess, again, it's communicating a need for a toddler, but we do have to help them to understand that those sorts of behaviours aren't okay. When we are trying to develop kids into being compassionate, kind adults, part of it is saying, okay, when you're frustrated, you can use your words rather than using your behaviours. So one of the, I guess one of the strategies is if they're throwing toys, um, things that, you know, are around them, maybe removing either them from those toys or the toys from them for a short period of time. Um, Also, as you're talking um, to a child about what they shouldn't be doing, make sure you're telling them what they should be doing. Even if you feel like they're pretty young and they might not be understanding, they're going to take in a lot more than they can express. So sometimes it's saying things like, um, you can't bite Tom because he didn't give you that toy. You need to ask him if you can have a turn. Um, And then thinking about what's an appropriate way to remove your child from that situation just for a really brief time so that they understand that a consequence of, say, biting another child is taking them away from the thing that they were enjoying doing. Does that mean timeout works or I've read about planned ignoring or, you know, what what do we do to... Yeah, look, I'm not a huge fan of timeout because I think it um, results in kids not really then getting the opportunity to see how they could be interacting and how they could be behaving. I guess one of the, the, the way that I'm talking about 
removing a child from that activity might be just having them come and stand next to you. If you're in, say, a playgroup setting, have them stand next to you for just a really brief period of time, A, until they've calmed down, Mm -hmm. and B, so that they can understand that doing that sort of behaviour means they miss out on a bit of fun. So Mm. I might call that it's more like a bit of quiet time. But it's not a time where you'd spend a lot of time berating them and going over and over it because they're toddlers, they're impulsive beings. It would be more you can't bite, you need to ask Mm. and leaving it at that. Yeah. I do rem- I remember with my daughter when she went through a hitting phase, I, we would, we had cats at the time. And so every time she was gentle with the cat, I'd be like, this is lovely. This is beautiful. You know, yeah. we cuddle, we pat, we're gentle and just reinforce that as much as possible. And when she started hitting me, I'd be like, no, no, no. This is, it's like, you know, you, the way you're treating Maggie, you got to treat other creatures like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Kids look to us to learn how to behave. And if we're just telling them stop, they're not going to learn what it is that we want them to do. So, um, you know, I use this example all the time. If my son's drawing on a wall and I yell out, stop, don't do that. He might look at it and go, oh, she doesn't like pictures of dinosaurs. Maybe I need to do something a little bit more creative (laughs) next time. So if I tell him to Draw on the walls, draw on a piece of paper instead. He's automatically worked out what it is that was making me so frustrated and Mm -hmm. what to do next time. So we have to give alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, it goes back to thinking about what are they communicating and they're communicating, I don't know how to handle this situation, I need you to help me. So when we have that sort of idea around toddler's behaviour, it it makes us, I guess, problem solve with them rather than get completely frustrated Mm. and um, yell and they don't learn what it is that they could do next time. What I'm liking about that, what you're saying there, is working with your toddler rather than being... Well, I did set up the analogy of being in a war room, but I suppose we're allies rather than enemies, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there are some beautiful moments with toddlers that kind of melt your heart and make you remember what you thought parenting was going to be like. I mean, if if you think about that 18 months to three years, that's when they learn to say, I love you. Mm. And how magic is that when you've got a toddler saying that for the first time? kind of allows you to get past some of those other really, really challenging moments where they're throwing themselves on the floor in coals. Yeah, it absolutely is the most magic time. And I remember one of those most beautiful times when my daughter looked me deep in the eyes, just that connection that you get. She said, I love you, mummy. And she was on the toilet pushing out a poo at the time. And I (laughs) remember thinking, (laughs) this is a glorious moment that I'll always remember. (laughs) And it leads me to another question I received on Twitter from a dad who says, uh, how do I stop my son pooing in his undies? So do reward charts work? Do, Do we play games? Do we have stickers? What do we do? Oh, Man, reward chats work at, you know, that golden age of three to about six. Reward chats are amazing and you can get a child to do pretty much almost any behaviour for a sticker or a smarty or something small. Um, toilet training is one of those things that I say to parents all the time. It's supposed to be hard because it's so easy for a child to just keep doing what they're doing and not have to stop and go and sit on a toilet. So why would you want to do that if you can just keep using a nappy? So um, we want to make it more desirable for them to to go in the toilet. And, look, it's important for parents to remember that 
it takes a long time to toilet train a child. And there's a lot of competition, I think, between parents around mm. how fast their kids manage that. But it's pretty normal for it to take a really long time. There's lots of reasons why kids will not use a toilet and poo in their undies. So it's a good idea to give them time to sit on the toilet, reward them just for sitting, um, really encouraging them to um, see the toilet as a place that's good to go to so that they want to go there rather than a, a consequence or a punishment. Um, and reward charts help with that. Mm. And I guess, I mean, the, what we're asking for is a huge amount of patience in the parents, which is not easy. Absolutely not. And I think, you know, it's you, you kind of hang out. You've changed millions of nappies by the time they're three. You're kind of hanging out for that time when you don't have to do that anymore. But for some children, it's really developmentally tricky for them to coordinate all those skills that they need to be able to use the toilet. So it's about kind of gradually stepping into each of those behaviours. So really, um, if you can get your, your kid just sitting on the toilet for a while, you might strike it lucky and they might um, just accidentally go while they're there and then mm. you can reward that and then just gradually building up. Yeah, we had a cupboard of toys we got from the $2 shop, which we call poo toys, and she got a poo toy every time she used the toilet because we didn't want to be giving her lollies all the time. And, oh, my God, by the time, once she worked out, she got a toy for it. And they were the crappiest things, pardon the pun, <laughs> you could ever imagine. But it was enough for her to go, oh, I'm going to get a poo toy. She would be yep, pushing absolutely. out. She's straining to get this thing out. <laughs> It's about finding their currency. So mm. for some kids, um, you know, their currency is really easy and it might just be, you know, mum and dad cheering them and giving them a round of applause. But for other kids, they really want something tangible that they go, okay, I exchanged this for this. Got it. I've worked that one out. Mm. Another question from my socials, and I love this from Tegan, any ideal time to move to a bed? And any tips on teaching them to use blankets, pillows without freezing in the process? Currently, we're rocking sleep sleep sacks, which, oh, they were the best. I miss them. Oh, they were the oh, best. Oh, they're so snuggly. Oh. Um, but, yes, how do I can't use them forever. So moving from a cot to a big girl bed, big boy bed, and uh, how do we do that process? Well, look, the thing that I always say to parents is as soon as you move them out of a cot, um, just be prepared that they're going to come and visit you. Oh, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and look, some kids work out how to scale a cot pretty effectively, although I find the sleep suits do slow them down a little bit. Um, I think if, if your kid is able to sort of get out of a cot, then they're ready for a, a big kid bed. It's much safer for them to be in a, in a bed and just um, cr crawling out the side than hoisting themselves out like a hurdler over the top of a cot. You can use rewards again for kids staying in their beds um, if you, you think it's a major issue. But I think kids will generally, if they're feeling cold, they're going to try and find a way to keep themselves warm. So I guess it's about having a doona or a blanket there that they can pull up themselves. Um, the sleep suits are great and I wouldn't necessarily be thinking you need to get rid of those anytime soon or move them into a onesie so that mm -hmm. the onesie um, provides them with like a blanket. And I guess having a, a big kid bed communicates something to your child. It tells them that, you know, this is a big achievement. So we celebrated when both our kids got their big kid beds because mm. it meant that they were moving out of one stage and moving into another. So it is a time where we feel like we're training our kids to be humans, essentially. They're learning 
all the things and some things you just didn't even think you were going to have to teach your kid. Like I remember <laughs> having to, I, I made a song that went, we don't drink water that our bottom's been in because she kept drinking the bath water. <laughs> I'm like, how is, how is this a thing that I had to teach her? <laughs> but so we don't, we don't drink water that our bottom's been in became a real hit in our, in our house for a while. <laughs> I'm sure some other parents may uh, be able to use that song as well. Oh, it's really catchy. We don't drink water that our bottom's been in. Anyway, (laughs) my point is, you know, we're teaching them to be humans, but I think there's a huge amount of pressure to get it right. And we feel like if we don't do this now, am I going to damage this child forever? Or am I going to set up bad behaviours that I'm going to have to undo later? Is that too much pressure? Is that accurate? I think that's a bit too much pressure because I think generally most parents are, are doing their best and it's it's hard work. They don't come with a manual and every kid is different. So even in the one family, you might parent your kids exactly the same way and you might find that you have really different behaviours that you see. So I guess it's just worth thinking about what are you doing 80% of the time with your kid? If 80% of the time you're calm, you're positive, you're helping them to learn new behaviours, then you're doing a pretty good job. And I wouldn't be worried so much about the other 20% of the time where you might be a screaming banshee or rocking in a corner. Mm, Hiding in the linen cupboard. I mean, what? No, I didn't. Um, But so, I think too, it's a time at which the kids are full of joy as well, you know, at their best. And it's the time of wonder and creativity and exploration. How do we concentrate on those moments? How do we really empower them to do all the things that they should be doing as a toddler? I think it's with um, toddlers thinking about spending a little bit of time each day just being with them and just being really um, present and with them. So, um, you know, off our computers, off our devices, screens off and just play with them Mm. and just marvel at their expertise like wow look at that tower you built that is getting so tall I wonder how tall we can make it before it falls over so really talking to them about their efforts in what they're doing Mm. um, and recognizing that for a toddler you know just building a tower is an amazing achievement and if we start with those small behaviors then as they get older and they do you know um, sometimes they're going to do things that are um, absolutely amazing kind of giving them feedback for their efforts but I, I guess also just thinking about not over-praising our kids, mm. so making sure that we're also being quite realistic so that we don't have kids going off to primary school that think they are the best artists in the world and that their sort of value is higher than any other child. I guess it's that balance of also being a bit realistic with our kids mm, okay. as well so that they're encouraged to keep trying rather than thinking they've already achieved their best. Right. So it's about rewarding the effort rather than the outcome, I suppose, because this is where we're building self-esteem at this time as well, aren't we? Absolutely. And it's, I guess, an ongoing process. Kids have these periods of time where it might be harder to find the joy and the good stuff that they're doing. Toddler years are possibly um, more like that. And then as they get a little bit older, we kind of go, oh, that phase has passed we've moved into a new phase but now look at what they're trying to achieve and I guess developing into a human um, who's kind and caring is an ongoing piece of work for parents. Mm. So what is what is your top tip then as we wrap this up our war room for parents who are 
exhausted because I think it's one of the times where you are at your most fatigued trying to understand and negotiate and work with your little terror, delight, as, as they oscillate between. What's your top tip for parents in this right now? Okay, so my top tip, number one, is look after yourself. Mm. So make sure that you have some time to be you and not just um, spend all your time doing stuff that's around caring for your child. So time out is really important. Sense of humour, sharing your stories with other parents is really, really helpful to make you feel like you are actually doing an okay job and to, I guess, recharge the batteries so that when you go back into uh, looking after your child, you've got that kind of me time in your bank. Um, And then my second top tip would be just remember that these stages pass and that there are some really um, enormous achievements and highlights in that stage that will um, shine over and above the challenges that that you have. And I think if we all think back to when our kids were toddlers, you kind of realise how quickly that period does in fact pass. Um, We all do survive it. We get through it. And if you've got a sense of humour, that's really going to help. Yeah, it's a funny stage. The kids are hilarious, either intentionally or not. <laughs> but, but, you know, to be able to see your see the best in your child and have a laugh in the situation, I think is a, is, if you can achieve that, you're doing really well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emma. I've really appreciated your insight. It gave me a little bit of a flashback, which was both good and bad, but that's okay. I'm, I get to go home to my 11-year-old who tells me she loves me every day. And she did start doing that when she was a little girl. Thanks so much. That was child and adolescent psychologist Dr Emma Little. And you know what? I do think we're developing a theme over the course of Mum Plus One, and that is be kind to yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. You don't have to be perfect. And that is very true for parenting toddlers. Take a breath, have a laugh, turn it into a song. We don't drink water that our bottom's been in. I mean, why didn't that hit the charts, honestly? (laughs) Know that you'll be okay because no one is a toddler forever. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or someone you think might enjoy it. And we'd love to hear about your parenting experiences. Drop me a line or give me a question that you might have. Jump onto my Instagram at realjoestanley and get in touch. Thanks to Red Energy for supporting this podcast. Red Energy has great value, electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. If you enjoyed Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle series. For all things home design, enjoy Home Style with Shana Blades. Getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space and making them feel intimate within that space. Great value electricity and gas. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SEN app.